0: This is Jeff Ignacio and I'm honored to join the magnanimous podcast, The Sassholes.
1: <laughs> Welcome to Holes, a show dedicated to issues in the software as a service industry. We are revenue ops with a edge. edge. Jimmy, Jason, KG, and myself, Pete, have a combined 100 years of making interesting decisions. Please subscribe to our weekly newsletter and take a look at our Patreon page, Patreon slash Sassholes. Quit being a freeload or put a couple bucks in the cup, would you? Today our the wife guests needs
2: is, shoes, the wife needs
1: right. shoes. <laughs> pair of shoes, pair of shoes. I gotta paint my bookie. Today our guest is Jeff Ignacio, a RevOps leader running the RevOps Rehab community for true practitioners. Jeff is an experienced RevOps leader who's passionate about driving revenue excellence, working with sales, marketing, and customer success leaders. He's a results-driven RevOps leader who believes in a high sense of urgency, to define and enable sales processes, Stabilizing scale systems to work for you and not against you. Collaborative team player. We may not always agree, but we will always work through all the angles. High integrity, accountable, strategic leadership, hands-on approach. But before we get to Jeff, we got a sponsor for the show, NeuroNoodle. The parents of athletes get a doodle of their noodle, which is a brain map before the next season starts. So you have a baseline to compare to. You get a physical every year, right? Well, get a brain checkup now at neuronoodle.com. It takes only 20 minutes to get the data you need to ensure the quality of your athlete's future
2: life. Carney. Oh, uh, yeah, Pete. KG. <laughs> Just pick on him for once. KG.
1: Yes. Did you know your pupils are the last part to stop working when you die? They dilate. Leave us some comments on our blog at sassholes.net and Patreon slash sassholes. Hey, shout outs. You got any KG? Uh,
2: I just have a few. Um, Congratulations to Avi Golan for being promoted to SVP of Engineering and General Manager in the the Israel location of ZipRecruiter. Congratulations, Avi. It was awesome working with you back in the day. Congratulations to Elijah Wisdom for starting as. Mortgage loan originator at Rocket Mortgage. Now, yeah, I want to know when is that that punk Andrew Wisdom from United United Pet Care going to come on the show? I don't know. We got to get that guy, anyway. But that's oh, that's what I yeah. got. Andrew Wisdom, Elijah Wisdom, Carney.
3: I got Joachim Feist. He worked for me. He's in Germany. He's five years at Accenture. Brian Bailey, three years at Qualtrics. Elizabeth Curry. Uh, five years at Flexera. And then I need to give a shout out to Sonar, which I know, Jeff, you're a, a, an advisor, I think. I'm on their webinar um, the 24th, talking about tech stack fatigue and drunken tool confetti. It'll be an interesting webinar. Sign up today.
1: Better order a couple more server racks. All mm-hmm. right. Jennifer Maul being promoted to sales director at Grubhub. Way to go, Male. A. Nicole Owens, two years at Pipeline, Kendall Fambro, four years at the Salesforce, Greg Steffen, the Emmy Award winning Greg Steffen, 21 years at Intersport, Ty Russell, two years at Caldwell Banker, and I'd like to congratulate all the drummers out there in the Chicago land area that are looking for a gig. The Sassholes Corporate Band is in search of a drummer please email pete at sassholes.net. Yes, a corporate band. We will kick off your kickoff. Who knows? All right. So KG, how do you know Jeff?
2: Let me just start by saying that I thought I knew what RevOps was until I worked with Jeff. So I'd been at startups for my entire career and we had sort of quasi operations types of teams and And uh, most of it was fairly uh, disparate and not strategic in nature. And I had the pleasure of working with Jeff Ignacio um, uh, at Upkeep, and I learned what a true RevOps leader is all about. I didn't work with him for long, but I was so impressed with him immediately. And the thing that I was impressed most with was that Jeff was... The kind of guy who knew that his role was about providing insights and solutions to the business problems that the sales team and the, and the customer service team, uh, customer success team, and the marketing team was was facing, and that partnership was unlike anything that I'd ever faced. Before, how about that, Jeff? Does that sound about right? <laughs> oh, high praise! <laughs> I'm glad you got the $200 a cents to you this morning. There you go. Thank you so much. My Venmo works these days. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. Oh, appreciate it. Glad to have, uh, glad to be on with all, all three of you. Yeah, you, you've had a, a very interesting background to get into RevOps. I mean, you know, obviously you didn't go and get your bachelor's degree degree in revenue operations. So why don't you give us the two-minute primer of uh, your background and how you got to where you are today, sir.
0: Yeah, somehow I missed signing up for the RevOps major at university. I decided <laughs> to take the long road here instead. Um, so let's just start with you know the early portion of my career where I was also at Accenture uh, working in the media and entertainment practice, uh, configuring SAP for large media and entertainment studios. So there I learned the, the value of unlocking business impact through technology And back then it was EDI and an API. It was on-prem and not cloud. So very different environment. Uh, From there, I actually thought I'd do well in sales and thought that that turned out to be a mistake. Uh, But I had a profound, uh, profound um, empathy for uh, what sales folks go through, right? The, the feast or famine of the role itself, carrying the bag. Took a detour, I went to business school, and then from there, started taking some more operational roles the last 10 years. So first working in fp where I cut my teeth in analytics rigor and uh, rigor, putting models behind the metrics, and really understanding the business from uh, the, the mechanical point of view. Uh, from there, I supported sales at Google, uh, where we were a global business. And having the opportunity to be a horizontal sales channel across six different product lines was tremendously valuable because I got to see a multi product world, a multinational world, multi channel, selling to different segments. And then from there, I moved into the go to world, go to market operations. So uh, if you talk to folks in RevOps, they've either come from uh, the world of go to market themselves or sales, or they've come from finance like myself. Um, so I brought that lens to sales operations. So I think about sales operations and, you know, seven pillars and uh, my three anchors that I came up with were, you know, quota, comp, um, annual planning, bringing those skills to the table. The last couple of years, I've worked at high growth startups, trying to turn them from startups to scale ups and doing so by connecting all the disparate parts between marketing sales to bottom of the funnel and building loyalty with customer base. And uh, yeah, so I can't say I, I took the short road here. <laughs> that's
2: for sure. <laughs> you certainly did not. Uh, you're you're the bomb, man. I'm I'm just anybody listening. If you need a high quality RevOps pro, Jeff is the dude. But you're gonna have to pay for it. He's worth every dollar. That's for sure. FPNA, and didn't you come from fp a Jamie?
3: Unfortunately, I did. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you create a lot of models in FPNA, but you learn data real quick and. And you learn the impact of data. I have an accounting degree, which even makes it even worse. What do you think the number one thing is, or a couple things that are needed to be successful in revenue
0: operations? I think the number one thing that is important. And I think there's a lot of things, but to see what would bubble to the top, mm-hmm. I would think some sort of like heavy curiosity. Uh, you know, really understanding. You know, how things work. Right? How do business models work? How do your customers work? How do your internal customers work? Your, your marketing, your sales teams. Um, digging in and, and having that problem-solving mindset each and every day is gonna put one foot in front of the other when you're in RevOps.
3: I mean, to me, I think data is also a huge component, right? So coming from the FPA world, it's sort of data is sort of the basis of all your decisions, but I always say data. And I think one of the other things you talked about in your, your intro, how you're partnering and empathy with sales, I, I, I resonate with that. There's a lot of people out there who I feel like think sales is just coasting by and getting paid. Until you're carrying a bag, you don't know what that means.
0: I think it's an underestimated role, right? I think folks look at sales and think that it just works. Um, and you, you, you know, when you work in RevOps or sales ops, for example, you realize that the mechanics of sales actually changes through each phase of the company. Right. So when you sell to your low hanging fruit customers and you have to cross into uh, more competitive deals at higher price points or different markets, uh, your playbook fundamentally changes. Mm -hmm. Not only that, the skill sets required to be successful changes your profile of who you hire completely um, could be completely different from what you brought in from a year ago. And so you almost have to reinvent uh, or build two different businesses side by side almost.
2: Jeff, what's the definition of RevOps? What the hell is it?
0: <laughs> so, I have this basic framework, and I'll walk through that after I give like a, a Webster's dictionary. But I believe Web, uh, I believe RevOps is the discipline and practice of, you know, bridging and aligning strategy and execution for the go to market team. And what does that mean? Example, I think of two flywheels, one and they're two concentric circles, one inside the other. And at the very center is not the company, it's actually the customer. Because I believe if you take, take care of the customer, you take care of the company and you take care of competition. The first ring around that is the customer life journey. So that's you know going from I'm problem aware to top of funnel marketing, all the way to when I'm engaging with your sales team or your product signing up through product led growth, to the time that I actually sign up and start becoming a loyal customer. Um, And so I think of that as uh, the flywheel on the inner ring. And then the outer ring are the what I call the for uh, my four pillars of RevOps. So that's uh, process, enablement, advisory, and systems. And those are the binding forces of an organization that keep that customer lifecycle going.
2: I love this here, it was process and systems and enablement and advisory. You did such a good job in advisory. You'd hit me in the middle of the night with like, hey, did you know that we have like no customers in South Africa? So let's stop calling into South Africa. Hey, that sounds like a great idea. Jeff, you've talked about your two concentric circles, and on the outside is the four uh, four pillars. Can you go through what those four pillars are again?
0: Yeah, so the first one is process. I like to think about it as peas into pods. So I use this mnemonic because I'm I'm actually very stupid at remembering things, so mnemonics are a useful tool. So, uh, peas for process, and that's really thinking about uh, you know each. Um, What's your model, your inputs, your model itself, your tool or your making mechanisms and your outputs. So, you know, um, you think through, you know, what is your lead to order process, your order to quote to close process. And each of those can be broken down into sequential steps or parallel steps that help uh, build repeatable success at any company. Uh, Two is enablement, and this is how you prepare your team with the product or industry or sales skills or whatever knowledge they need in order to be effective at their job. Advisory, this is really encompassing all the data, the insights, and the actionable, uh, executable actions that a business can take on. And I like to think about it as decision-making sciences. And then Mm -hmm. systems, uh, really encompassing all the infrastructure and tools that are needed uh, for uh, for the team to be effective.
1: Now, Jeff, I see the four pillars there, and at the end of the day, you have sales, you got marketing, and you got success, and then you have friction. How, how do you deal with that friction uh, with the companies that you've dealt with in the past? When I say friction, I mean, I'm in sales and forever, I'll, I'll always say marketing sucks uh, if uh, any of my marketing people are out there. They go out there and they get these leads that stink, we can't close them, we throw them back. And then marketing says that sales sucks. And then you got the success people that can't renew anything or maintain a, an account. How, how does this all work? It's, this looks great on the screen, but how does this work in real life with the, the companies you've worked with?
0: So I'll, I'll, um, I'd like to think that healthy tension uh, is, is good for the business right and and that friction allows folks to see the problems that they're trying to solve for from different angles right and so we each have our own different set of experiences and skill sets that we bring together and so by working together we're able to consider you know all the pros all the cons of every solution that we're, we're bringing forward uh, but in revenue operations one of the things that we put together is a revenue operating model And the revenue operating model is actually very similar or analogous to a three statement um, workflow that, you know, any finance professional is going to put together from your top of funnel model to your sales execution and your pipeline management, all the way down to your customer base and their renewals. And then not only that, it's a flywheel, right? Most folks think of the customer lifecycle as this linear journey from the time i become aware to the time I go through a sales cycle to the time I become a customer. But there's this word of mouth or that this diaspora of champions that end up rebuying from you at their new companies when they move. And so that flywheel is what uh, aligns sales, marketing, and customer success together. And so I think you can set objectives for each department and it is very easy to uh, fall prey into uh, a trap where you're focused on optimizing for your own goals but at the end of the day, you're all marching towards one destination and we have to come together to find out, you know, what are, how can we work together? Uh, And simply, you know, putting our heads in the sand like ostriches and optimizing for our own goals is not going to get us there. You've obviously
3: dealt with unhealthy friction, right? So being a RevOps person, how do you, how do you handle that and and allow these guys that are, Just fighting between marketing and sales, like if Pete was in sales, how do you handle that type of friction?
0: Well, I like to start with the data. Uh, You know, what does the data say, right? So, you know, work with facts, not feelings. And oftentimes I've seen the source of tension comes from not necessarily politicking or personal individual aspirations, but from the fact that we're bringing different data sets to uh, to the table. Uh, so I've been in uh, situations where a uh, marketing team and a sales team will come in with their operating models and they're talking about the same concepts, the same metrics, lead volume, conversions, opportunities, uh, attribution to win. And then they find out that they've defined each of these metrics somewhat differently. And in fact, they have different filters on their reports. And so the models themselves are different. And so we're not we're actually talking past each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we get to a point where we use one unifying model and yeah. we baseline, you know, what we're all looking at together, that's when you can bring a different perspective to it. But the data is the data itself.
3: I think that's exactly what I was hoping you would answer. The data is key <laughs> in the RevOps side, right? And, and I think the RevOps leader, if you're truly a RevOps leader, you need to own the customer path and the data, underlining data behind it so that you guys can all come to the table and you be the unbiased person that sort of looks at that and says, marketing is contributing 24% of all the lead generation. Um, and they are contributing this and they are contributing that because you've got the data to support it and you're unbiased. You're not living inside those orgs. You're living
0: outside of I think that's exactly right. If you have the data, it's hard to argue It's hard to argue with, it's hard to hard, argue with the empirical data.
3: Yeah, the amount of time spent on anecdotal data is just an absolute time suck for any corporation. Are you talking Every about looking con- for confirmation bias? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that happens even in data. If you go in with the idea that you want to support your script, you can go in and support it in any way. That's why the RevOps leader, in my opinion, and, and Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, Yeah, but the RevOps person should not live in those orgs should live outside of the rev and marketing org and should live in in like an operations role onto its own. What's your thoughts on where the rev rev ops leader should live?
0: Well, I think that, you know, we have to think it through a couple of tenants, right? Like where are they, where can they be unbiased advisors to the business? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, one thing that I think for, you know, smaller companies, for example, like I'll consult or advise startups and there's not often space or an organization chart for an independent or ops organization. So they'll typically report to a head of sales or head of um, or CRO, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, it depends on the structure. I actually think the CRO uh, reporting to them at a startup leads to a little bit more unbiased than, say, reporting to a head of sales. Mm-hmm. Um at larger companies, I can see them reporting directly to you know an operational org all into itself. And that, that then gives them a mandate um, and the you know and the, the hood spa to actually serve as an unbiased
2: partner and push back. I, I met a RevOps leader from SciSense who said that the C when the CEO had questions about customer success marketing or sales data, he he went Directly to the RevOps person instead of the leaders of those teams in particular, because he knew that that's where he was going to get the highest quality data and the most consistent data and the most um, uh, unbiased data that right, you know, right there with you. And I don't think he reported to the CEO, but the CEO Utilized him in, in in that uh, in that particular way, which it, you know validates exactly the position that you're stating of the RevOps professional needs to be unbiased to be able to to um, provide great insights that don't have an agenda.
1: Jeff and Jamie, how do you stop idiot salespeople like me buzzing you the night before when they got a presentation looking for data uh, data to support their uh, case? Huh. Do you have? Uh... Uh, restrictions and how you can be contacted. You know what I'm talking about. Hey, I need to show that my group is the best. You know, my costs are the lowest, my top line's the highest, and I'm the most efficient. Give me this data and I need it in 30 minutes. How do you stop all that? Or does it happen at all?
0: Oh, it definitely happens. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I like to think of two things. Uh, One, uh, setting boundaries. uh, And two, setting an operating cadence. Uh, So let's just start with the operating cadence. Uh, The operating cadence should hopefully stop the last minute, 11th hour uh, request for data. We know it can happen, but you want it to be of the variety of one or two requests as opposed to dozens. And so if you have, uh, you know, a a rhythm to the business and you're you're able to showcase, here are the milestones that are going to hit, you know, here's our weekly business review, monthly business reviews, and here are the dates that we start to prepare our data packs, and that's what we build our entire story around, um, then you can at least efficiently prepare the organization to, you know, get ready for those big milestones, uh, those type of operating rhythms. Uh, second thing for about boundaries, um, I like to make sure that, you know, I set my time for uh, hanging out with my family and friends, and those hours, you know, after work can typically be you know, off limits, unless, unless it's in a state of emergency and we do have to get, uh, we do have to do the heavy lifting.
3: AKA fire drill. I would would agree with, with Jeff. I think what you need to do is establish your monthly and quarterly cadence. You need to establish what that's going to look like well before uh, the time it's due and say, this is your This is what you need, Pete, to fill out. And Pete might sit there and say, well, I want to do something else. I don't care. You've got a limited amount of part that you can, you know, sort of persuade and tell your story, but you're not moving outside of that reporting mechanism because it's going to be uniformed. And if you want to, We can talk about that for next iteration or next month or next quarter, but we got to be way out ahead. You can't do it the week before and say, I want to showcase how great I am. And the only problem there is you then need to make sure that if Pete shows up with something that is not, it gets deleted and Pete gets told, don't do that again.
1: Yeah, Pete gets coached again. No, you brought up the flywheel and I just think of Jim Collins, good to great. And, you know, they talk about, you know, what's your economic, Denominator. You know what is the most important number? What is the second most important number? You know, if a company doesn't know that, I think then you run into all these uh, fire drills where you know people are trying to save their skins and they're relying on you guys to support the data to you know keep keep their jobs. At least I've seen it with the companies I've worked with. They didn't have established goals where, hey, this is what we want to do first, second, third, and fourth. And if you don't have that, then you gotta run to Jamie and Jeff to get data to support uh, your, your, your job.
0: Well, KG and I were talking earlier this week, we used this analogy. Uh, you can either be a, a you know a fire station fighting fire drills, or you can be the deport, Department of Forestry. I think it's a little bit of both when it comes to RevOps, you're, you're serving us both. And if you can tilt the line more towards the forestry side of the fence, uh, you can actually start to prevent a lot of these fire drills from happening in the first place. And by doing so, you actually give um, planning a chance to live within the business and imagine a business that happens to live by its plan. Uh, I think that's probably makes for a higher chance of success.
3: On our last podcast, they talked about tech, tech stacks and, and you know companies on average, depending on size, it would be different, had five or six meaningful tools that they're using. From my perspective from your perspective, what tools do you think people are using today that probably shouldn't? What tools uh, do most people use and what tools do you see are coming on the rise that people should be aware of?
0: Oh, man, such a loaded question. Uh, I don't know if you've seen these charts, but there's like thousands of startups yeah. building micro tools, um, yeah. things that you think are manual in nature, like, oh, I'm doing this in spreadsheet or a Word doc or a Google sheet. You know that's a startup idea, and someone's actually trying to fill that gap. I think there's a in the long run, a lot of these features either get squashed by the forces of competition or merged through consolidation. So you're actually seeing a kind of a one-stop shop, all in one, with a lot of these different tools. But I think some of the converging tools that I think were have been really interesting, having these the category called sales engagement platforms. So the sales loft, the outreach of the world, they've automated a lot of the cadence. Um, they've actually kind of revolutionized uh, the playbook in some ways. So step one, step two, step three, uh, you can have an 11 day playbook for an inbound lead versus a three week playbook for an outbound lead. And so it's actually taken a lot of the thinking outside of the sales reps hands in terms of the rhythm, and they can just focus on uh, the soul of the notes, uh, so to speak. Um, The CRM itself, I I still think a lot has not changed on the CRM front. And so um, there's a lot of innovation uh, coming with uh, kind of, data input. So I advise a startup called Scratchpad, that I think is uh, really interesting. It creates a lot of flexibility and a lot of harmony in terms of how reps are inputting their data. It takes a lot of the friction out of the layouts that my team uh, will go build uh, for our team, for our reps. Um, I think some of the more interesting uh, tools will be um, uh, not necessarily a painting by numbers um, for, for, in terms of sales, but the ability to contextualize, like what's the right play at the right time uh, when you're in a live fire. So when you're in a, when you uh, when you're in a call, can I pull up the right script based on the persona, based mm-hmm. on the stage of the company? Can I a- access the right assets? Can I pull up the right case studies to prove my point? Um, so I think those tools are, are coming and are, are some of the most interesting things that I've seen. Um, there have also been some different form factor revolutions. So instead of just a, a dedicated website or an iframe into the Salesforce tools, you're actually seeing these Chrome extensions live as side-by-side uh, companions to the site. So mm-hmm. it does, it's actually uh, non-intrusive uh, into you know, how you're currently using your CRM. So you can actually access the information while inputting it at the same time. And I think it's very, very uh, interesting.
1: Yeah, if you said that RevOps leaders should be like your local homeowners association, what the hell do you mean by that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, the shakedown. I was trying to get to a point where uh, you have, um, yeah, I was th- thinking of the of the early company, right? So you hire four or five reps. Everyone has their own idiosyncratic practices. They're doing things their own way. But I like to think of, you know, when you're fixing a golf swing, you you've, you hold all, cons- hold all things constant and change one thing. And then you hold that thing constant and change one other thing. And so you're starting to set standards for the neighborhood, so to speak, whether you actually live by them or not, uh, that's your own prerogative, but at least you start to set a baseline. Uh, And once you do that, you're able to uh, have uh, a playbook or at least a set of processes from which you can see what works and what doesn't work,
2: double down on what does and trim what doesn't. You know, we had a guest on the show last week, Matt Bertuzzi, and we talked about tests and we, this Statistically significant, you know, data doesn't exist in most instances. But, but the, but your point though is, you should at least be creating those standards and attempting to make these these kinds of, you know, tests um, to move your move your team forward. You know, I, I love you so much, Jeff. But you said one thing that really triggered me. I sound like such a snowflake. You said to, you told me one time that RevOps professionals should be, and, or could be chief revenue officers. What the actual F are you talking about, dude?
0: (laughs) I think there's a tendency to believe that the CRO role is uh, reserved for uh, the heads of sales. Uh, And and in that, uh, when you step into the CRO role, uh, the number one tool that you need to bring out of your belt is your your sales hat, right? Uh, Your set of sales skills. But when you're thinking about the entire revenue engine, you're really thinking about from soup to nuts, how do you bring the marketing playbook to the table, not just from a sales perspective, and then how do you work through with your customer base Um, By working in RevOps, you actually get to see at least the mechanics of that entire operating model and you get uh, strong exposure to it. And so that's one of the reasons why I believe uh, RevOps actually has a background that could be a strong candidate for becoming a CRO, because it's not about necessarily stepping into individual deals yourself and becoming an executive champion for that deal. It's actually about building um, the machinery of the business that could actually then Uh, move the business forward by having a seamless process, that customer life journey that we talked about earlier.
3: I mean, think about it, Kevin. What does most CRO spend most of their time on? The biggest time suck in any organization is the weekly forecast cadence call. And that CRO spends all the time on that weekly forecast cadence call. A Red Ops person can do that. You know what I mean? Like, let's be honest, like that is probably better for them.
2: I, well, first of all, I submit to you that Jeff Ignacio runs a very good forecast call. I get it. And I think they should. But well, come what, on. What man, is like, a good forecast call?
3: There's no such thing, but it's better. You're hey, saying it's you, better.
2: Tallest. Y'all, ne- y'all never one ran a forecast call with Jeff. Jeff, what is the key to running a good forecast call? Oh, preparation. Make
0: sure you prepare your questions beforehand. Yeah. And I, you, uh, I like to I like to throw one soft uh, one curveball question every once in a while to each rep and see how they how they react. Uh, there's one thing I enjoy about the, uh, about the forecast call, uh, you learn the business. Um, and not only that you learn the trait, uh, you learn the, um, the behaviors of your reps, right? So you'll have some reps with happy years and, uh, you'll apply a little bit more judgment to those reps, uh, to, to downgrade their forecast. Uh, and then you have some reps who absolutely sandbag, um, you know, 60 day sales cycle closes in one day. How does that happen? Well, let's take a, let's take a hard look. And, and, you know, you see these different behavior patterns with your reps and you start to to make a call uh, based on what you, what you notice.
1: What percentage are lying and what percentage are delusional?
0: <laughs> I thought they were the same thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> continue.
3: <laughs> well, if you have a turnover of 25%, you know, 25% are lying. Cause they're, they're looking for a new job and they don't want to tell you what's really
2: going on. Yeah. Jeff, have you seen any software or tools that are good bullshit meters? So you technology can point out the opportunities that suck and the opportunities that have a higher probability of closing than those freaking sandbaggers are suggesting any good tools that you're aware of that our listeners can use.
0: Um, there's a ton of forecasting technologies today that actually, uh, take some of the traits from your, uh, that can treat you, that can correlate your historical past and start to, um, put some confidence intervals around uh, future performance. Uh, so I think in a high data environments, so you're gonna have more success uh, for the enterprise where you're low volume, uh, big ticket price, uh, you are gonna rely a lot more on your process yeah. and the anecdotal, yeah. anecdotal notes from your reps. There,
2: there there, you go. That's, I mean, people AI can do that apparently. They can do that uh, if, they,
1: if they're a Patreon sponsor, but they're not.
2: Oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> but, but you brought up a really good point though, Jeff. You can, you need the data. In a high data environment, these yep. tools work, work very well. If you don't have a high data environment, you have to rely on those qualitative questions like talking to a salesperson and figuring out if they actually can answer certain questions. So, That's, that
3: And by the way, the worst question a CRO could say on a forecast call is I looked the customer in the eye and it's coming, this deal is coming in, which happens at every CRO I've been at. Um, they all say that. I've looked somebody in the eye. I shook hands with them. I met them for dinner. It's going to happen. It never comes
2: in. Pete, you love these guys, don't you? You love these RevOps people.
1: I love guys that are in finance and want to take on, be a, have a sales role, but take on no risk. I love it. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's talk about some of the contradictions that exist in RevOps. I'm all ears.
0: Yeah, I, I would say, as uh, a couple, I have a LinkedIn post on this. <laughs> I think it, uh, it garnered a little bit of attention. Um, so there's a tendency to want to automate everything, yet having too many automations becomes unwieldy to manage yourself. So you almost have to automate the management of these automations. The second is we want to move fast, break things, but sometimes we have to slow down to design things right. They always say you have to measure measure twice, cut once, and oftentimes businesses want to move at the, at the speed of light. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything is top priority. If you were to ask uh, your head of marketing, your head of sales, your head of CS, where they rank their projects against relative to their peers, uh, I almost guarantee you everyone's going to rank at number one. It's almost like walking to class and asking everyone who's above average and everyone raises their hand. Well, (laughs) it just can't physically be true. Um, so we have to think, start thinking about um, how do we prioritize and also asking for investment. I think a lot of rev ops folks like to solve within their envelope and not necessarily thinking about uh, expanding our own capacity. Uh, and then the last thing I think that drives me crazy is uh, folks say, I want you to be strategic, but let me add and load on about a thousand percent of your work hours with tactical requests. And so <laughs> how the hell am I supposed to be strategic if, uh, if I'm inundated and drowning in tactical requests as well? And that, that's the inevitable contradiction that I think a lot of RevOps folks can relate to. Hey, um, think, uh,
3: I see that you're an advisor of Sonar. Tell us a little bit about Sonar because I'm going to be on a webinar with them on Thursday.
0: Yeah, Sonar is great. So mm-hmm. that's, that's, think of the situation where you're in uh, a migration project or you're going through a heavy lift within your back end with Salesforce And you start to make a change and you realize there are some upstream impacts and downstream impacts in your systems that were not identified in the project scope. And all of a sudden your project scope increases because now there are these other groups or projects that have been impacted. Sonar actually gives you the ability to see ahead um, see what are the dependencies uh, you know across your systems that that might need to be incorporated into your project plans to have a more successful outcome uh, to the project that uh, was the initial source of the problem. <laughs> so yeah, I think, um, I think it's yeah. great. I think it's yeah. great. All I think about yeah. is uh, DevOps for RevOps.
3: Yeah, because I, I look at it as this way: like one, you may have you may not have bought the tool. It's a three-year agreement. You may have stepped in. There's a tool that was never implemented. Maybe it's not worth the money to investigate if I need to remove it, meaning it's a $20,000 ACV and RevOps people and who are just so slammed with work that they just renew it because they're, not a, they're afraid of the downstream impact. I always say, fix the underlining data, see if the tools that you were sold in a pipe dream actually work when you've got the data improved. And then once you identify that, use Sonar to help strip out all the drunken tool confetti that's been going on and in RevOps because the tools have been driving innovation as opposed to the, the people and the processes and your whole map driving the innovation then going and finding tools to help you do more with less. Instead, the tools are coming up and saying, I think you have a problem here. And somebody goes, wow, I do have a problem there. You know, we, we need to flip the script and we need to have better RevOps people that go out there and say, what tool can help me with this problem as opposed to what problems don't I even know I have? you doing something about
0: solving a tool bloat, or uh, I think a lot of folks like to use the word Frankenstacks uh, mm-hmm. to describe their technology stacks. What What is Frankenstacks? Oh, it's just a Frankenstein of all the tools that you purchased but probably have never used and lost the keys to the admin license and continue to pay for. It.
1: <laughs> yeah, different cost centers making a purchase of a product that nobody knows about, I think.
3: There's Jeff, a fear somebody, of pulling something out because it could impact something you're not aware of. and Like Jenga. Yeah, it is. So,
1: so Jeff, somebody that's just starting off in RevOps, do you have a tip that you could give them that are listening? Because we have all types of people listening to the show. Give us your biggest tip that you give somebody who's just starting out in RevOps.
0: I think uh, the one thing that I think can help anybody in RevOps is – uh, to follow some of the kind of the influencers on, on LinkedIn. Um, I think the advice that we give is more high level in nature. Uh, but the, you know, the details won't be learned until you're actually in the seat uh, until you, you take a chance. Um, you know, I've actually promoted or hired, um, crossover SDRs. Uh, these are the folks who were, um, were enamored by the process of selling. They, they were thinking about how to improve their processes. They came up with their own standard operating procedures. I looked at that and said, you know, you actually have a mindset for this role. Let me give you the tools. Let me give you the, the opportunity to learn and give you a sandbox. And so, you know, I think if you're curious about the world of RevOps, uh, whether you want to step into the role or you want to enhance your partnership and relationship uh, with RevOps themselves, I think you can at least start to pay attention to that some of the some of the language that's out there uh, within LinkedIn. And I think some of the tooling that's been building that's that's coming out is actually helping uh, quite a bit to uh, to kind of bridge that divide between uh, your tactical operator to, you know, the operator who's the strategic advisor to the business.
1: Your biggest tip for a veteran in RevOps. Don't stop.
0: (laughs) Don't stop believing. Yeah, don't ever get complacent because there's always a new problem set that you haven't solved that comes your way. What was Mm -hmm. the last problem set that came your way? I think the most recent one was uh, we had, um, uh, we're a PLG motion company and you had a ton of data in the user base and uh, there was no mechanism to turn off free trials. Um, Usually you see folks (laughs) uh, stop logging in, they're not using it, Uh, but there's actually no red flag to say, hey, we need to truncate the free trial and so the business was moving so fast, they just forgot to, 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 to implement those breaks. And so RevOps actually came in and actually noticed that that was happening. And we started to you know raise the red flag and say, hey, we need to start building mechanisms to turn off these free trials and then turn on uh, some sort of um, notification to flag the sales team to intervene and start putting some growth tactics to convert them from free to paid. Um, and so th- that was a uh, that was a fun set of projects because it required us connecting two different databases, the Salesforce database, huh. and and um, and our product usage. And the tooling uh, is starting to emerge, starting to see a couple startups in the space. Uh, but we needed to we started to use um, ETLs and middleware to start surfacing the data. And then on top of the data, you need to start building the process. Big one.
2: yes. See, that's like just the great combination of the product. Like product didn't figure that out. RevOps figured that out, and one of the solutions was then tell product, turn it off, and two, have sales follow up. And that's the perfect example of RevOps stepping in. Good work, man.
1: I think that's marketing's fault. Hey, Jeff, thanks for coming on. The sh- <laughs> Jeff, thanks for coming on the show today. I appreciate you guys. Thank, Thank you, you for you. having me on. Hey, what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and connect with you?
0: You can connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, Jeff Ignacio. Uh, secondly, I have a Patreon group called uh, RevOps Rehab, so patreon.com backslash RevOps Rehab. And then okay. if uh, folks don't, don't want to interact with me, but they want to read my writing, I post every Monday on RevEngine.Substack.com.
1: Got it. We love that Patreon, don't we? Mm-hmm. All right, thanks for listening to the Sassholes. On behalf of Jamie, KG, and myself, Pete, we thank you for listening. We ask that you give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to our newsletter in the podcast notes, and you can always buy us a beer on Patreon slash Sassholes. We thank you for listening. Cue the music.
0: Ignacio, and I'm honored to join the magnanimous podcast, The Sassholes.
1: I gotta look that up. Anybody know what that means? Yeah,
3: Mag- those, na-
2: uh, all right. We'll, we'll
3: anything over three now. syllables is out of Pete's world.
2: I think it means we have to wear <laughs> extra large condoms or something like that, right? Mag- magnum. <laughs> magnum. I like to get yeah, polysyllabic on, uh, on Tuesdays.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Put the right emphasis in the right syllable.